Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We are concluding our study of the book of Hebrews today. We actually began this study, and I look back in my notes, we began in September of 2019, which in COVID years is 35 years ago. So it's been a long one. We've, there's a lot of complexity about this book, but we wanted to give it its due. So we've, we've gone slowly through it. Uh, after this, we're going to be uh, we're going to have a, a study on bitterness uh, later in the spring. Uh, it'll be be a fun one, uh, helpful one. Trust me. Uh, we'll also um, have a study of the Book of Ruth, as well as uh, we'll be in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's uh, greatest sermon by the greatest preacher ever. So I'm excited about uh, Matthew five. Um, and then in the fall, uh, we're going to do a, a study of the book of Titus. So we have some good studies over the rest of the year, but today we finish Hebrews 13, and we'll be in 17 to 25. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to just come together as your people and do what your people really have always done, which is, which is come together and, and circle your word in order to hear from you. We know that these words that are found on these pages, are inspired by you. They're breathed out from you. Nothing in you is erroneous or false or untrue. So we know this to be true. We know it to have authority. We know this is where we go to find life. This is how we know when you're speaking to us and, and we know your will is through your word. But Lord, we know your word is not somehow separated from your spirit. And so Lord, we ask that your spirit would come and speak through your word today. I pray that he would come and and do that work that really only he can do, which is to give us eyes to see, to give us faith, to convict us, to encourage us. So we invite Spirit to come and and fill this room and and do a good work in our midst. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but that we would simply glorify you and that you would be pleased about what we say and sing in this service. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, last week I attended a funeral of a a man that I greatly admired. Jay Powell was the deputy police chief for the city of Louisville. And he had uh, been a police officer in Louisville for nearly 30 years. And and a lot of people, including Kristen and I, have, have really just been heartbroken over his death. You see, Jay and his wife Rhonda have, have really been the heart and soul of our little neighborhood. As long as we've lived in that neighborhood, Rhonda's been the HOA president. Uh, and she's really just given herself to that. And, and regularly we've seen uh, she and Jay fixing things, painting things, just making things work better. And really they've devoted themselves to build community in our neighborhood, and, and they have. And, and frankly, Uh, That couple is one of the main reasons why we love living in that neighborhood. Jay had a really fun, quirky personality. He loved Halloween. In fact, they had an entire storage unit devoted just to Halloween stuff that they would bring out every year. And Jay is most famous for being the chainsaw man. And yes, it's as bad as what you think it is. So they would block off a portion uh, of their street down there. And I'm, I'm no joke, probably a thousand kids come through our neighborhood every Halloween. And it is like, it's the place to be in Denton on Halloween. And Jay would dress up like a crazy hillbilly he would take the chain off the chainsaw, and he would chase kids up and down the street. So if you've been chased by Jay Powell on Halloween night, you have arrived. Um, a ton of people, including myself, 
really loved and admired Jay, and he really had a lasting impact. But the, the most impactful thing about his funeral was at the end. And if you've never been to a police officer's funeral, there's a number of ceremonial things that they do that are really powerful. But at the end of the funeral, they, they get on the radio and they do what's called an, an end-of-watch call. And as we stood there outside the church and the Louisville Fire Department had two trucks out with ladders up and then an American flag w- was draped, at the end of uh, the ceremonies, different things that they did with Rhonda, we then heard that end-of-watch call. And it went like this. It started with his number. 102, 102, Assistant Chief Powell, it's with great sadness that we mark January 6th 2023 as Assistant Chief Powell's end of watch. Jay, we will miss your leadership, your sense of humor, your friendship, and your dedication to your community. Thank you for your service. God bless you, Chief Powell. May you rest in peace knowing that your brothers and sisters have your watch. Louisville Police Department, clear. As long as you have breath in your lungs... Keep watch over your soul. And as long as your heart is still beating, keep watch over other people's souls as well. As we close this study of the book of Hebrews, that's the final charge. Keep watch over your soul. You see, this book is, and this is what I love about this book, it's all about warning you against falling away. And it's a real, legitimate terrifying warning that you can fall away. There can be temptations and trials in life that will draw you away from faithfulness. And in those moments, whatever is tempting you to fall away, whatever you think is better over here, that I'm going to abandon faithfully following the Lord and I'm going to go over here, maybe it's oppression, maybe it's pressure, maybe it's just fleshly desires. Whatever you think is over there, the message of Hebrews is Jesus is better. No matter what it is, Jesus is better than that thing tempting you to fall away. And the project of Hebrews has been to make that case that Jesus is better. Now he started with explaining how Jesus is better than the angels and the prophets and Moses and the priests and the entire sacrificial system. But in the end, the theme is Jesus is better. That's the truth of the book. That's the solution of the book. This, this solution to the problem of falling away is that Jesus is better. And listen, we've speculated on what, what were these temptations that were pulling them away. We, we don't really know. We, we speculate thinking that it had something to do with the fact that they were ethnically Jewish people. They'd been converted to Christ, and thus they had uh, to abandon all these religious Jewish ceremonies. And then there was pressure likely from family. There might have been even economic pressures. And listen, if you don't participate in these things anymore, we're going to ostracize you. We're not going to do business with you. We're going to alienate you from the family. But in the end, there's this temptation for them to fall away or to drift away. And we read in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The point here is, is that when you face trials and temptations to fall away, Hebrews is telling you to draw near because Jesus is better. Now, the mechanics, if you will, of drawing near how do we draw near, is embedded in this call to watch your soul. If you want to draw near to God in those moments, 
then you need to hear the command to watch your soul. That's what this final section is all about. It's this command to watch your soul, and it's talking about even your relationship to those who are charged with helping you watch your soul. And then we have a closing benediction, this closing uh, blessing, this closing prayer. So let's start in verse 17. And the command here is to obey your leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now listen, you read a verse like that, and if you're like me, man, you go back to some kind of American warp and wolf, right? Like we're rebels, like we pride ourselves in rebelling against the monarchy. We don't need a king and a queen. We pride ourselves in mocking all of our government officials, right? Like we're Americans, okay? So we bristle naturally at this. But also we're in this day and age to where we're very skeptical of institutions. We're very skeptical of leaders of institutions. And I think many of that is very, very warranted. So I think we need to be very careful and thoughtful when telling people to obey your leaders. Therefore, I think it may be a healthy place to, to start with this passage is to give some clarity about what biblical church leadership is all about. The, the best image on what a, a biblical church leader ought to be, and this is what we talk about regularly around here, is the image of a shepherd. And shepherding is a very biblical image, right? First Peter 5 two, uh, calls pastors and elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So our commitment is to have elders and pastors who display a shepherd's heart. That's what we're looking at first and foremost. Maybe you're awesome in the boardroom, okay? Maybe you're a phenomenal coach, but if you don't have a shepherd's heart, then that disqualifies you from leadership in our church. You see, our leaders want to love you. They want to pray for you. They want to help you know God's word better. They want to minister God's word for you. They want to encourage you and care for your soul. Leaders should be shepherds. Now, before you think this is glorious and awesome, let me give some, uh, some, some asterisks to this. That call to be a shepherd is a high calling. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So when you bring James 3 and Hebrews 13 together about we're going to give an account, that's a terrifying call. You see, leaders in our church, they're going to answer to God for the health of Redeemer Church. Like all of us are going to answer to God for if you watched over your soul. Did you faithfully follow the Lord? Leaders in churches, they're going to have that same moment of judgment, that same day of judgment. But added to that is going to be this question of how did you lead in the church? Did you care for souls in the church? Was Redeemer Church healthy on your watch? So leadership in the church, I think, is terrifying. There, there's a burden to church leadership. We're not just to uh, give an answer for our lives, but also for your lives. Therefore, church leadership, I think, is to, is to be understood as a calling. But that call is to shepherd the sheep, to care for the sheep, to feed the sheep. You probably remember John twenty-one fifteen, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And he said to him, feed my sheep. Therefore, biblical church leadership, it's all about caring for and ministering to Jesus' sheep. He has saved you, and then he's called you into a church family, which includes leaders who are called to help care for your soul. Leaders do this primarily by feeding the sheep with the Word of God. So kind of in summary here, biblical leadership is all about caring for the sheep. Caring for the souls of those that Jesus shed his blood for. Jesus died for his people once and for all. And then he's called leaders to come in and help not hurt those sheep. So leaders are to partake in this messy work of uh, of dealing with messy shepherding issues, of messy real people and situations. And listen, leaders are to do this not for prestige, but out of sacrificial love and out of calling. And, And leaders will answer for their work. Leaders of this church will answer for the health, the spiritual health of Redeemer Church. And the way we minister is primarily through the Word of God. It's not about personalities, but it's about sermons and lessons and counseling and conversations where we take the Word of God and we apply it to different situations. So the Bible is our ministry tool. However, that's the call. And that's the ideal. But you never really reach the ideal, right? Like, no, no church leader is perfect. Every church leader falls short of that vision in some way. And in fact, I think we're seeing a real problem in evangelical churches where you see authorities in those churches using their authority to hurt, scare, control, or even abuse people at certain points. And listen, I, I didn't live 500 years ago, but I know the human heart, so I'm confident The things that happen in the church today happened 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,500 years ago. It's the nature of humanity. But by God's grace, there's a spotlight on church leaders today. And and it is by God's grace, and we're thankful for that. And I just want you to know that in this church, we view uh, church leadership as something that we need to be vigilant about. We ask those questions. How are we doing here? Are, Are people really being shepherded here? Listen, we, we need shepherds who shepherd and, not, and don't abuse. However, I think we need to be careful on this idea of, uh, that there's this plague of, uh, of abuse in the church. I, I, I think it certainly is happening. However, I, need, I think we need to be careful on not believing certain myths. Because I think some person might read a headline and then, I, I'm out. I, I'm not having anything to do with the church. Or they have this standard of like perfect church leadership. And if somebody falls short of that, then I have all this church hurt. I'm out. I'm never going to be part of another church again. Friend, you're believing myths in those, in those moments, okay? And that's not to say if you've had church hurt, this is a place to come heal. But as you heal here, understand that no leader is perfect. No Bible study leader, no elder, no pastor is Jesus. You're never going to have perfection in the church. And let me just give you one stat that is helpful for me on this. I read this stat this week where uh, 3% of women in churches say that they have experienced sexual advances from church leaders. 3%. I find that shocking. I find that utterly heartbreaking. May it be 0% in Redeemer Church. And listen, may we be vigilant to make sure it's 0% in Redeemer Church. However, in that same study, by comparison, 25% of women have experienced sexual advances by leaders in non-religious workplaces. Listen, my, my point in sharing that stat is that we have work to do in the church. 
But the church is still where God is calling you to come and be part of. And it's still a place where not only are you to, uh, uh, to watch over your soul, but he's brought leaders into your life to help you watch over your soul. So with all that said, obey our, obey our leaders. Obey is the idea of leaders seeking to persuade you to obey God's will. In the previous passage, it called us to imitate past leaders. And the idea there was, okay, these folks who have come along, who've passed away, they've faithfully uh, served you with the word, their lives are to be imitated, follow their example. This is something a little bit different. He's speaking to like the leaders who were actually with them, still alive, and he calls them to regularly obey them. Not, not people from the past, maybe some of you didn't know, and it's really easy to o- obey them because they're not even around and pushing into your business, but like real people really in your life, he calls you to obey. So for example, when one of your leaders says, listen, um, we want to go a, a certain way here in the church. Unless there's some sort of obvious unbiblical or ungodly aspect of that, he's saying, listen, go that way with them. He's saying, follow them in that way. I I think this has a lot to do with like directional issues. Like we're in conversations with the ownership of this property to say, hey, can can we expand our footprint here and, and take over more space so that we can maybe go back to one service and invite more people to church Listen, if that's the direction the, the leadership takes in this church, and there's a lot of eyes looking on that, there's a lot of eyes praying about that, this is calling us, let's go that direction. This also has to do with doctrinal issues, like issues about what we believe about the gospel and about the Bible. But ultimately, this has to do with your own soul. You see, this call is to obey when a, when a pastor or a leader says something like, friend, I think you really need to be part of a small group. Like, if you hear that from one of your church leaders... Your instinctive knee-jerk reaction should not be, "Eh, no, I don't need that, and you move on. Your instinctive knee-jerk reaction is to say, you know what, yeah, I need to to at least process that and think about that and explore the options, and maybe you can help me with something like that. So if a a leader or an elder says, brother, I I think you're being unwise or, or harsh with your speech, but you don't immediately just need to get real defensive in that moment. You need to say, okay, listen, there's something to that. Maybe I'm not seeing this, and maybe my flesh, I want to get really defensive. But God's brought this person in my life to say something like this to me. I, I, need, I at least need to hear them out. In addition to the word obey, he adds the word submit. They're obviously you know, similar terms, but obey is really about persuading someone to, uh, uh, to do the will of God. But submission is about yielding your will to God's will. Okay, so maybe your desire is to go this direction, but he's saying lay down your desire and go that direction. This gets to the problem of division. For, for example, when maybe the leadership of the church says something like, hey, I, I think we ought to participate in service projects in the community. And then maybe one guy says, well, you know, I think the church should just solely be about evangelism and discipleship. We don't need to be doing service projects. Listen, th- you can have an honest debate on that. But then at the end of that, when the leadership of the church says, okay, those are great points. We are about evangelism. We are about making discipleship, but we're going to, about making disciples, but we're going to do this as well. What he's saying here is, is go that direction with them. Don't, don't cause division and yield to the leader's convictions. One final example here. If there's a scenario like where Pastor Gary says, hey, I, I really think uh, you have something going on in your heart. And you ought to come to the men's Bible study. 
Again, in that moment, just yield to his wisdom. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. I don't know. I, I think he's probably right. But what he's calling us to in this passage is just to yield to their wisdom. But why? Why should we obey and submit? The answer that he gives us is because those leaders are charged with keeping watch over your soul. You see, listen, you're, you're called to keep watch over your soul as an individual. But he's also given you a church, he's given you leaders in order to help you also keep watch over your soul. So he's so committed to this concept of your soul being watched over and you faithfully following him, especially in trials and especially in temptations. He, he believes that to the degree he's created a church structure to help you keep watch over your soul. Those leaders are here to help you. This phrase, keep watch, it's about vigilance. See, these leaders, they're fighting to keep you from danger. These leaders, they're fighting to keep you faithfully drawing near to the Lord. So as temptations and trials pop up, know that they're praying for you. They're they're thinking and strategizing on, on how to minister to you, how to help you avoid different pitfalls. Like they're giving time and energy discussing the potential dangers that you might be stepping into so that they can help you, not hurt you. Further. They're going to answer for how they keep watch over your soul. So I believe we're all going to answer for not only our own souls, but leaders will answer for the health of this church. Therefore, help them care for you with joy. Help them care for you. Listen, there's always hard, heartbreaking conversations at every elder meeting that I've ever been at. But, but be that guy who everyone says, man, I know he's walking through something tough, but isn't it exciting how he's trusting the Lord through his temptation? Be be that lady that causes the elders in that meeting to pause and smile and joyfully report, man, she's in a tough trial. But isn't it beautiful how she's growing and trusting the Lord and finding joy in that moment? Follow their direction. Support them. Yield to them rather than be divisively nitpicking. Don't be one of the stinky sheep. Be one of the sheep that causes them to tear up with joy as they talk about you. Embrace the truth that we need to keep watch over our souls. But further, embrace the truth that God has given you leaders, people in your life to help you keep watch over your soul. Before I go to the next point, I just want to say that um, I really love serving with Mike and Andy on the elder team. They've ministered to me. They've encouraged me. They're not yes men. They've helped me see blind spots at different times. I've, I've learned to obey and yield to them. I say all this to say these verses apply to church leaders as well. There's not this whole other class where they've got everything figured out and then everybody else. Like these verses apply to the three of us too. I also want you to know that I really love being a pastor. And I pray our staff and our elders and all of our leaders also love it. However, I'm not going to pretend that there's not a burden to these verses. Like there's, there's, there's a weight to these verses that frankly terrifies me. And, and I regularly feel inadequate. You see, many times I don't know what to say or I wish I could have said it better. Or I, I've walked out of a hard counseling session saying, I, I don't think I helped at all. So I, I know all other pastors, all other elders feel exactly the same way. Therefore, we need your prayers. You need to be praying for your church leaders. Pray for your leaders is the point of verses 18 and 19. Pray for us, 
For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Because of the burden of church leadership, of of keeping watch over people's souls, we're commanded to pray for those who are keeping watch over our souls. There's a bit of a stair step that happens in these two verses. Not only are we encouraged to pray for them, we're urged to pray for them. We're urgent or earnestly urged to pray for those leaders because they need your prayers. But we're to pray specifically for a couple of things. The first one is we're to pray that they will have a clear conscience as they shepherd. What this means is, is that they are doing the right thing for the right reasons. So this requires, I think, a ton of spiritual maturity, a ton of humble insight. Shepherding from a clear conscience means uh, that shepherds are keeping watch over their own souls. This means you need to pray for your leaders. The second thing that we're called to pray for our leaders about is that they would act honorably. You see, the, the fruit of a clear conscience is an above-reproach life. Ch- church leaders are to think God-glorifying thoughts. They're to feel loving, forgiving emotions, and they're to speak edifying words. But again, that requires a ton of prayer. And so we have this admonition here that that, uh, shepherds are to shepherd in honorable ways, which is in that difficulty, as they watch over your souls, there's this admonition to pray for your leaders. He now shifts into the benediction, this closing prayer of blessing. And within that is this Uh, additional charge to be equipped to do his will. Look, Look at verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again, uh, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom, uh, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20 marks the, the benediction, this, this closing prayer of blessing. Now listen, as we close kind of our multi-year study of the book of Hebrews, this becomes our closing prayer, my closing prayer for you. The prayer was for God to graciously equip the readers to do His will. That's the, the final prayer here, that God would graciously equip you to do his will. Now, in order to fully understand this prayer, we, we need to be reminded of the good news about Jesus being better. The good news is that God is a God of peace. Now may the God of peace. This is a gospel of peace, which means that God desires your welfare. He desires your rest. He desires your wholeness, and he desires your salvation. He desires good for you. He loves you. And that desire is demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ. So after talking about peace here, he goes into this talk about the blood of the eternal covenant. This is the ground of all of it, that God loves you enough to defeat death for you. That was the point of it. When when breath returned to his lungs on that third day, when his eyes opened again, he took off the table your greatest fear. And as a result of that, You can find welfare and rest and wholeness and salvation because Jesus has victoriously defeated death. Amen? Isn't that good news there? And as a result, he now shepherds us through the power that is rooted in that blood of the covenant. So he has sacrificially shed his blood in order to fulfill all these prophecies 
and then firmly establish all these promises for you. And that's what we build our lives on. That's where we find peace. This promise of peace is guaranteed by his blood. So when he promises you welfare and rest and wholeness and salvation, even when it doesn't feel like it when you're in that moment, there's a blood-bought promise that is guaranteed on the cross. His promises are not empty, powerless promises because his blood secures his covenant promise. We can rest assured upon the blood of the eternal covenants. He goes deep here at the end. But the purpose or the end of that gospel is not to live according to your fleshly will, but rather to be equipped to live according to his will. Friend, when you start talking about his blood-bought covenant promises, we're in the realm of people don't lose their salvation. You can't out his grace. He died once for all, amen? And there's a temptation, and you know it's true, there's a temptation in that with, cool, I can live however I want. If that's where you are, you're doing it wrong. He's secured all this so that you can live according to his will. So you can do, verse 21, that which is pleasing in his sight. He calls you to, he he is calling to equip you to do his will. Friends, as we close Hebrews, hear the call to watch your soul in order to be equipped to do his will. That's where he lands the plane with us. However, before we read uh, his final goodbye. I don't want you to hear that call as a burden to bear down. You're not the gospel. What this is not saying is you are, you, you are not the good news. It's not saying, listen, in your own strength, find hope. Or, or in your own willpower, find hope. You see, your hope for watching over your soul And then being equipped to do his will is ultimately, verse 21, through Jesus Christ. Jesus will equip you to do his will. That's why this is good news. It's not bear down, work harder. You're not the gospel. He's already borne down and worked harder and finished the work. And it's through him that we do his will. Friends, this book is all about fighting the temptations and trials that lead people to fall away. That's the whole point of it. And over and over again, we've seen that Jesus is better. He's more glorious, more powerful, more soul-satisfying than any temptation or trial that is calling you to fall away. Therefore, draw near to him. But our ultimate hope and why this book is so encouraging is that that is done through Jesus Christ. In other words, when you fail again, or when you're tempted again, believe again that through him your soul can be preserved in his covenant. He is always with you. He's always for you. Through Jesus, we have peace in our hearts. His blood-bought covenant promises and his shepherding care watching over our souls so that we can then do his will. In other words, you're never too far gone. You're never too far gone to be equipped to do his will. Believe again that through Christ you can faithfully follow him. Therefore, grace be with you. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who have come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. As he closes here, he gives a quick final update on Timothy. He closes with kind of a standard uh, greeting in the epistles. And then he concludes with this final prayer. Grace be with all of you.
You see, Christians are Christians because of God's grace. You become a Christian not because you're good enough or because you have enough willpower to reach up to God, but because God has given you something good that you don't deserve. That's how you become a Christian. You are saved by grace. And the good news, even further from this book, that he says over and over again, is that Christians also remain Christians because of God's grace. In the same way that you got saved, just like your salvation, you don't ultimately remain a Christian because you're good enough or you have enough willpower, but rather because God has given you good things that you don't deserve. You remain saved because of his grace. So as we close our study that's all about dealing with real temptation to fall away. Rest assured. Rest assured that God's grace is enough to hold you fast in any trial that comes your way. Rest assured knowing that His grace is enough to draw you back when you're tempted away. Rest assured that His grace is better than anything that, uh, that this world has to offer. Therefore, brothers and sisters, grace be with all of you. Man, I've loved this study. I love this book. It's been difficult and complicated at times. One of the takeaways for me is just these healthy warnings that this book provides. Listen, during the first century, it was probably something along the lines of family pressures that they needed to be warned against that was calling them to fall away. Maybe again, it was economic pressures that they weren't going to be part of the society uh, as it related to business, and that was going to impact them. We don't have those pressures today like they had there, but we do have other pressures. Today it might be to embrace secular ideologies. Like you might feel peer pressure from your classmates. It's always easier to go along to get along, right? Like it, it might be the pressure to participate in something in your company that you know you shouldn't do or you shouldn't say. You, you might have to, to weigh how to provide for your family. Friends, hear me. We don't live in a culture anymore where Christianity is the civil religion. You know better than I do that, that, that there's not social capital for being a Christian. We are sojourners. Embrace it. It's where we are. It's just where we are today. Understand it and live faithfully through it. However, some of your temptations might be more of a, of a fleshly nature. You might be tempted to pursue your hedonistic urges. No matter what the temptation is or the trial, remember that Jesus is better. Hear me, that whatever you think you will gain from falling away, Jesus is better than that. Therefore, keep watch over your soul. Listen to those leaders that God has given you to help you keep watch over your soul. It's worth it because nothing better, nothing is better than Jesus. At, at Chief Powell's funeral, they, they had an honor guard just a, a set of police officers that had particular ceremonial roles in the funeral. And, and there was a presence about these guys. Like their boots were a little bit taller, so they, they, they made them a little bit taller than everybody else. Their, their uh, uniform was decorated with a couple extra things. I mean, it was starched a little uh, more than everybody else's. Their, their hats were just bigger. There, there was just a presence about these guys. And, and Chris and I were we're sitting near the, the front of the funeral, and, and during the end of the service, this is a powerful moment, every uh, police officer in the building crossed in front of Jay's casket and saluted. It, it was really beautiful and, and powerful. But in order to do that, what the 
honor guard's role in that moment was is, is they were to block the aisles. Everybody else was to remain seated. All the police officers came around. So the honor guard blocked the aisle. Now, we were sitting towards the front, and there was a presence about these guys. And, and I'll just be honest with you. I felt a little uncomfortable. I, I like my personal space. And the guy was just a little close to me, okay? So I, I just took notice of him. And, and there was, it was interesting looking at him because he placed his hands a certain way. I noticed he really kind of widened his body there in the aisle. And he, he stood a certain way when this group came. And he stood another way when this group came. And, and there was a presence about him about that stance where he widened it. But in that moment, his job was to make sure no one passed him. I sure wasn't going to cross him. <laughs> but in that moment, as I watched him, I realized, you know what, I... I've I've seen this before. I I realized that, listen, he was doing what police officers are trained to do. Like like he was standing in the way police officers are trained to do in that moment. Like I've seen other police officers use their bodies as shields. Like he literally was trained to sacrifice his body in order to hold uh, that position in order to protect others. You see, that aisle in that moment was his watch. And he was going to sacrifice himself to keep that watch. Elders, pastors, leaders, thank you for your watch. Brothers and sisters, the warning passages are real. And if you're a leader, we need you to help keep watch over our souls. Brothers and sisters, the temptations are real. The trials are coming. If you live another 50 years, another five years, the trials are coming. But keep watch over your soul. And the way you keep watch over your soul is when those desires to fall away pop into your mind again or pop into your heart again, believe again by God's grace that Jesus is better. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this glorious reminder of this passage. May we be a people that keep watch over our souls. May our leaders not be about prestige or power, but may they be about shepherding those in this church to help them keep watch over their souls. Help our leaders faithfully minister the word of God to everyone who walks in these doors and joins this church. And Lord, may the people in this church Embrace your will to have leaders to help them shepherd their souls. And may we be a people that watch our souls. That in trials and in temptations, we wouldn't fall away, but that we would draw near. Help us to believe that no matter what comes, you are better. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.